In his wonderful book, The Island of Lost Maps, author Miles Harvey shares a sentiment with which I think many of us can probably resonate. In my 30s, writes Harvey, I spent a great deal of time at the Kopi, a self-proclaimed traveler's cafe right here in Chicago, actually, whose walls were adorned with masks from Bali and shelves filled with lonely planet guides to far-flung destinations. I was then the literary critic for Outside Magazine, Harvey shares. A great job, but one that was beginning to wear on my patience. You see, the books I read were about people who climbed Himalayan peaks or who rode a bicycle all the way across Africa or who sailed wooden boats across the Atlantic or tracked into restricted areas of China. These tales of adventure filled my days and my imagination, and yet my own life was anything but adventurous. The interior of the Kopi coffee shop was ringed by clocks, each one showing uh, the time in some distant locale. And as I watched the weeks ticking away in places like Timbuktu and Juno and Goa and Denpasar, I began to long for an adventure of my own. I began to long for a quest, a goal, a riddle to solve, a destination. And my craving, I believe, writes Miles Harvey, was not unlike the one Joseph Conrad describes in Heart of Darkness. Conrad writes, When I was a little child, when I was a little chap, I had a passion for maps. I would look for hours at South America or Africa or Australia, and I would lose myself in all of the glories of exploration. At that time, he writes, there were many blank spaces on earth. And when I saw one that looked particularly inviting on a map, I would put my finger on it and say, when I grow up, I will go there. Say that with me. When I grow up, I will go there. Can you identify with any of those sentiments, I wonder? Are you ever impatient with your life? Do you ever grow weary of the routine of the way things are? Are you absolutely content with where your life is heading on its present vector? Is there any part of you that might like to get up from your seat and go off on an adventure that might leave your life qualitatively better than it is today? Is there any part of you that wants to do that? There have been those for whom the answer to such questions was a resounding yes. Yes, I want to go there. Listen to this story of some who did. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were 
fishermen. That was their life. That was their box. That was the world, the coffee shop in which they lived. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. I will take who you are today and I will teach you how to play it in a new key, in a better way, with more impact, with more influence. I will make you fishers of men. And at once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there. Going on from there, Jesus saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. I was uh, 18 or 19 years old when I got the call that my girlfriend was gone. I had seen she had gone off to college up in uh, New Hampshire, and one day some guy came along in a van from another town making tie-dye T-shirts, and he said, come with me. And she got into the van and followed him. And I was dumbfounded. Who does these things? Who just, what's wrong with me? Who does this kind of thing? Who does it? The answer is, the disciples do. The disciples of Jesus do. It's, it's immediate, their response. It's striking how immediate is their response. Jesus says, follow me. And all these hard-nosed, working people suddenly drop their tools or get out of their vehicles or leave behind their associates, in this case a father for one of them, and they go following after Jesus. And when we read stories like this, we cannot help but feel that there's something about this kind of response that runs against human nature, doesn't it? Doesn't it hit you this way? Until you read the words that come next, it's almost inexplicable, the behavior of these men towards Jesus. For you see, it's this very next part that is the context for the first part. Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria. By the way, still in the news. And people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases. Those suffering severe pain. uh, The demon-possessed. Those having seizures. And the paralyzed. And Jesus healed them. Large crowds from Galilee. The Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, the region across the Jordan. In other words, lots of people from all walks of life and places laid down their tools, got out of their vehicles, released some of their associations, and followed him. I finally got it. 
I finally got it when I read those words, what was going on here, how we explain the immediacy of the response. It's not really immediate at all. These disciples were willing to get up and to go with Jesus. These people from all these places were willing to get up and go after Jesus because they had seen with their own two eyes what Jesus could do with a life put into his hands. They had seen his transforming power. Jesus had said, I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life with a capital L, life to the full. That's why I've come, to take you to that life. And those fishermen had seen what Jesus could actually do with a life entrusted to his care, with a life put in his hands. They'd seen what he did with people in pain. They had seen how he could transform those who were distracted, fragmented by demons, by voices, by forces pulling at them. They had seen what Jesus could do with those who were seized up with stress and who could no longer really function. They had seen what Jesus did with those who were paralyzed in place, who were stuck and were going nowhere under their own power and how Jesus transformed life for them. Jesus could make people healthy and whole. He could take people with whatever condition they had, wherever they were, and imbue them with life that transformed them, that changed them that made them healthier and more whole. And that is why they followed him. They wanted it for themselves. They wanted to go into that kind of kingdom. How about you? How about you? Are you interested in a more abundant, a healthier, a wholer life than you may have settled uh, into? Are you interested? What if Jesus, what if he could take you to a land where your past wounds and your sorry mistakes no longer haunted or hampered you at all and you lived totally free of that past? What if he could take you to the land of beginning again? What if he could guide you to a, to a region where relationships are safer and sweeter than you have dared to dream they could be uh, ever for you? What if you could go from the boredom of just watching time tick by uh, in your life to, to, to getting up every single morning with purpose, feeling the, exhila- feeling the exhilaration of knowing that today God's going to use my life to make a difference in the lives of other people. What if there was a way that you could get so close to the infinite God that you didn't just know about him, you knew him as your closest companion? What if Jesus could take you to that place on the map? Imagine Jesus leading you on a wild, unpredictable magnificent, transforming journey with him. Imagine gaining such closeness to him along the journey that he progressively infuses you with his character so that when people meet you, uh, they run into you, Robin, they think, I'm meeting Jesus. It's like meeting Jesus in the flesh, being with this man, being with this woman. What if he could do this in you? Imagine him just filling you up from the very center of your being, from beyond yourself, 
with a love, a joy, a peace, a patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control that resulted in the fact that no addiction or seduction could ever own you again. Imagine you had such power from him in your center that no enemy or idiot could ever face you again, that no storm or strife could ever destroy you again if he called you to go off with him onto that great adventure, what would you say? What would you say? Would you say yes? Raise your hand if you might say yes. Yeah, I think we might say yes. If it was possible to have this full and abundant life by following him. The truth is, Christ has called you. He has called you. He is calling you to that kind of life, to that kind of an adventure. And for those of you who have been following him or at least attending church for years, he's been calling you every day of that, uh, of that time to this kind of transforming life. But there is something about this invitation that feels just out of reach to most of us. And you know how I know that? It's because when I asked you the question a moment ago, would you like to go and do this? Your response was pathetic. (laughs) Nobody jumped up out of their chair and said, yeah! If I'd said Notre Dame, football, there have been at least 15 people jumped up. Yeah. Would you like to go to the game? Yeah. There is something in us. There's something in us that feels that the life Jesus talks about, this abundant life, is just out of reach for us. And we lack the boldness to say an outright yes when he calls us. Our reply is so often like Joseph Conrad's reply as a child when he says, when I grow up, I will go there. When I grow up, I'll go there. When I have more faith, I'll go to these places Jesus is talking about. When I'm a little more convinced, I might go there. When my life is not so busy, when I don't have all of these obligations and distractions and complications, I will Go there. I might, I might go then. In his book, Divine Appointments, an L.A. pastor by the name of Erwin McManus suggests that many of us, many of us church folks, unintentionally become sideliners. Not just church folks, I guess everybody can, become a sideliner to the great adventure of life. McManus defines a sideliner as an observer rather than a liver of life. Somebody who's more a spectator than a player. These are people who live more vicariously than valiantly. In other words, they find their romance in twilight or Fifty Shades of Grey. But God forbid they should ever do something really passionate and wild to demonstrate their own love for somebody else. They fight their battles through fantasy proxies like James Bond or Katniss Everdeen, or pick your favorite political player. Uh, Sideliners admire and applaud the great servants and the 
courageous heroes and the spiritual superstars, but they do not get up out of their chair. They do not rise to their feet and shout. They do not leave the room in which they are sitting. They don't get up and actually go with God to those places. They think to themselves, when I grow up, I might go there. And they're in their 80s now, some of them. And they still have not realized that it is only by going with God to those blank spaces on the map they've never been to before that they will actually grow up. Now, I don't know if I'm alone in thinking this, but when I I look at the headlines... And they're pretty much the way they were last year and last month. They're the same, kind, same sorts of headlines. When I consider the tensions in, 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 in households, in, in workplaces, uh, when I look at the conditions of the world, it strikes me. We need some grown-ups. We need more grown-ups out there. I don't mean people that have forgotten how to play, but I mean people that are mature Uh, in the way the Bible describes it. People filled with this love and joy and patience and clarity of vision and courage of spirit. We need more of these kinds of people filling up our homes and workplaces and politics and schools and communities. We need people who have fully grown up. As Ray Ortland has accurately observed, I think, most of us are not grown up. We are not integrated, unified whole people in the way at our clearest moments we know we should be. It's, it's like we have a boardroom in every heart, writes Ortland. I want you to picture a, a committee sitting around a big table, sort of like John Boehner and President Obama and all the advisors around the big table. This is the inside of most people, says Orland. There's your social self at the table and your private self and your work self and your sexual self and your recreational self and your financial self and a whole bunch of other selves. And the committee is, is arguing and debating and voting and constantly agitated and, and upset, rarely coming to a unanimous, wholehearted decision. And we tell ourselves, we tell ourselves that we are this way because we're so busy with so many responsibilities and it'll get better. Eventually, it'll all be calm. We tell ourselves this, but the truth is that we are just divided, unfocused, hesitant, and unfree. We are what the Bible calls sinners. This is our condition. And we've just not grown up yet. We've just not grown up. There are only two ways that this sort of person can accept Jesus in the way that leads to maturity, says Orland. There are two ways they can accept Jesus. One way is to invite Jesus onto the committee. I wonder how many of us have done that even this year as a resolution. We've said, this year I will listen more to God. I will give God a vote. We let Christ become one more complication in an already crowded and confusing and clamorous life. Yet there's another way to accept Jesus. There is one more way. Uh, It is to say to him, my life 
isn't working, please come in and fire my committee. Let every one of them go. Every last one of them go. I hand myself over to you, Jesus. I put myself in your hands. I like a third option even better. I like that second one better than the first. But I like a third one even better because it goes even further. Permit me to paraphrase Russell Moore, who puts the issue very bluntly. For too long, we have said to people, invite Jesus into your life. How many of you ever heard that expression? Invite Jesus into your life. It's an evangelical orthodoxy. Invite Jesus into your life. But here's the newsflash. Jesus doesn't want to be in your life because your life's a wreck. My life's a wreck. He doesn't want to be in our life. He wants to call us out of our life into his life. He wants to take us boldly where we've never gone before into the life of the kingdom of God. He wants to take us on the great adventure. And that is exactly what he means when he says, come and follow me. Let me show you the life for which you were truly made. So here's a recommendation. And that's all I can do is recommend. Consider putting at the top of your resolution list this commitment this year. This commitment. I will take some deliberate steps to go on the great adventure with Christ this year. I will take some deliberate steps, meaning motion, to go on the great adventure with Christ this year. I will get out of my chair. I will get off of the sidelines I will go with Jesus to some blank space out there on the map. And in the weeks ahead, we're going to be laying out what some of those specific steps might look like. Where you could actually go, move, take action. uh, In ways that would let Christ lead us to an even healthier, wholer, fuller, more abundant life than we have today. Resolve right now that you will actually take some of those deliberate steps when they're offered. Decide today, I'm going to do it out there. I remember it when I was a kid. I remember vividly um, being up in an airplane. I was probably 20 years old. I was with my brothers. I'm in an airplane. We're flying over the countryside of northern New York. It's late afternoon. I have a parachute on my back. And, the, uh, the, and I'm the first guy, the one closest to the door, and the wind is howling by, and the guy... Uh, has me put my knees over the, I put my legs over the side of the plate. The legs are going this way, right? And the man says, go. If I had not made a decision when I was on the ground before my heart started going a million miles an hour, that as soon as he said go, I would go. I might never have gone. And what an adventure I'd have missed. Make the decision in the calmness of this place today, here on the ground, that when he says go, take this step in the days ahead, in the ways we'll talk about, you're going. Right? You're going. Out the door with him. Let me emphasize in closing that your attitude on this journey matters a lot. It really matters a lot. Resolve that you're going to try and be 
a genuine traveler with Christ and not simply a tourist. There is a difference. Uh, Seth Godin, in his wonderful ebook, Graceful, points out the difference between being a tourist and a real traveler. The tourist, he writes, spends time and money to visit a new place. She immerses herself in a new culture and then seeks to insulate herself from its effects. She is choosy about what she's going to eat. She is careful about where she stays, uh, what the vehicle is that she's going to be occupying as she goes from place to place. She prefers safety over passion, writes Godin. The insulation that the tourist brings to the trip ensures that a good time will be had by all, but that no change is going to occur. No lasting impact. Godin writes, sure, you can come back with photos of the lions from your safari and shakers of sea salt from the shores of Ireland and and maybe even a new outfit from France, but if you go as a tourist, you're coming back as you went. Boy, that's true, isn't it? The alternative to tourism is traveling, genuine traveling. Travelers open themselves to the world they bought a ticket to. They really open themselves to it. They know that this experience is going to change them. That scares them a little bit, but they they open themselves to it. Godin says that to really experience change and adventure, you've got to be willing to do new things that you do not think you will like. I remember my grandmother insisting I, I... eat cream spinach. I knew I would not like it. She was right. I, I was right. She, it was not good. I had to keep trying it and trying it I, until I developed a, a love for, for creamed spinach. Amazing. You know, this is the truth about traveling. We have to, in a sense, orient ourselves towards preferring the unknown. One of the, my grandmother took me when I was 15 on a tour of the great capitals of Europe, and she told me, you, she didn't put it in quite these terms, but she said, you're going to have to prefer to try things that are unknown and scary and uncomfortable if you're going to get everything out of this experience. You must set out to experience things that feel foreign and unsettling at first to you, and you must keep giving them yourself to these things just to see what happens, writes Godin just to see what happens. Don't you want to know what happens when you put your life fully into the hands of Jesus? One of my favorite scenes in the Disney Pixar movie, The Incredibles, is the one in which Bob Parr, who is the middle-aged suburban dad, I could identify with him, is pulling into his driveway after an ordinary day of work. His life, I suppose a bit like Miles Harvey's, has grown awfully routine. And he pulls into the driveway, and he's backing in, and he looks over, and there next to him is a neighborhood boy watching him. And Bob says to him, somewhat irritatedly, what are you waiting for? 
And the kid looks back at him and says, something amazing. Something amazing, I think. And Bob softens and says wistfully, me too, kid. Me too. Friends, the amazing has come to meet you in Jesus Christ. To draw you out of where you're living now into his life. And when he says to you, come, follow me, it is the most amazing invitation you will ever get. Say yes to it. Take some steps in his direction. And you will have a life that is much more incredible. Would you pray with me? Our gracious God, we thank you for your relentless call. We thank you, Lord, that you have come back again, that you still issue the invitation to even those of us who have ignored it for a long time to come with you, to come follow you. Give us the courage, Lord, in many different ways in the days to come to get up out of the chair and to go with you into those empty spaces on the map. And meet us there, Lord God, with your life-changing, transforming power that we might find that abundant life and be agents of that eternal and abundant quality of life that you came to this earth to give to human beings. This we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.